0: Hello and welcome to a scorching summer edition of the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast, where we're immersed in the sights, smells and sounds of summer. I'm Sean Thomas, Garden Visits Editor for the RHS. My role is to research and write about the RHS Gardens and Partner Gardens for the Garden Magazine and for the RHS website. High summer is a really fantastic time to get out and enjoy the RHS gardens and partner gardens. There's water lilies carpeting lakes. Meadows alive with wildflowers and pollinators. Herbaceous borders are really getting into their stride. And of course, there's roses everywhere. If you've listened before, you'll know that every fortnight on our podcast, we talk gardens, gardening, and all things green. Coming up in this edition, movable feasts, clever ideas for permanent gardens for temporary residents. Gardens That Move House With You, ideal for renters and those on the go. Botanist James Armitage continues his strange encounters of the horticultural kind with the next in his series of audio portraits of some of the weird and wonderful plants in the gardens at Wisley. And advice on gardening in a changing climate we visit the brand new RHS Chatsworth Flower Show to see innovative approaches to garden design that could help future-proof your plot against the changes in the UK weather patterns that scientists have forecast. This June saw the RHS launch a brand new major flower show in the magnificent grounds of Chatsworth House in Derbyshire. It was a show that blended tradition with unexpected, innovative design. With the stunning backdrop of the gold-statued manor house and the rolling hills of the Peak District behind, the show welcomed over 80,000 garden lovers. Despite the typically unpredictable British weather, visitors enjoyed not one but two floral marquees filled with scent and colour from the plants brought in by many of the country's top nurseries and growers. These sat alongside a giant inflatable conservatory and a diverse range of displays and show gardens. One of the most popular exhibits was the RHS garden in a changing climate display. This demonstrated practical and attractive solutions for some of the challenges that gardeners will face in years to come as the UK weather begins to alter. Guy Barter, Chief Horticulturist at the RHS, went to Chatsworth to find out more.
1: Hello, I'm Guy Barter. I'm here at Chatsworth Flower Show in Derbyshire on a lovely summer day with the wind blowing and a light rain that keeping all the plants fresh and uh, healthy looking.
2: I'm Eleanor Webster, I'm the climate scientist from the RHS.
1: Eleanor, I understand there's a, a climate change report which you've had a hand in. Could you tell us a bit about it?
2: So the RHS Gardening and Changing Climate Report was launched in April of this year and we looked at climate projections for the sort of next 20 years but also up to 2100 as well and we summarised what this might mean for gardeners. We collate a lot of evidence that's around at the moment and we it culminated in three designs, one for the north of England, which we expect to be um, wetter and milder in general, um, and then the south of England, which is sort of milder and hotter, and then the southwest area, which is a combination of the two. So whilst we're here at Chatsworth in Derbyshire, um, we decided to bring to life um, the northern garden, um, which is for what we project to be a lot of wetter conditions. It may be warmer in the summer, um, warmer in the winter, but there will also be those cold snaps. So what we've got here is we've got on on our right um, is a garden of now, which you might expect. So we've got grass and we've got a lovely herbaceous border um, and we've also got sort of just a a panel fence. Um, And then on our left is a garden of the future. And what we're looking at is how we might be able to manage water in the garden better, not only for our own garden, but also to benefit the wider community in terms of flood risk. Um, We use a lot of recycled materials where we can, and we also think about planting for that sort of wet-dry oscillation that we might be experiencing.
1: Eleanor, can we go and have a closer look at some of the features that have been built into this wonderful garden to illustrate the things that you've highlighted in your climate change report?
2: Over here we've got some uh, side of the garden that runs up the outer hedge and we've got some reused brick which is broken and what we've done is red brick and we've just scattered it over in a permeable layer on the soil and um, very easy to do at home.
1: I see there's a wonderful pond here, it looks as though it might be for capturing rainwater, am I right?
2: Yes that's exactly it, so the whole whole garden design around being permeable. So um, the pond um, is where the rainwater is eventually collected um, it gets to the pond through um, a variety of ways, um, through sort of overland, through this sort of lovely meadow that we can see because the pond is in the middle of a meadow that's planted up with a variety of plants that are ideal for pollinators. Um, so next you can see here we've got a zigzag fence, which is in contrast um, to the old, um, to the current garden we can see here, which is a straight fence. So what we're expecting is much stronger winds um, during storms um, and also gale force winds. So what the zigzag does is it's a much stronger shape, which means that it stands up better to the winds. Um, the the fence has also got vertical slats in it which means that the wind can travel through it as opposed to a totally solid um, fence panel the zigzag is also very nice because it can create little small microclimates and shelter and things like that so and alternative social spaces
1: yeah and also as well as your your porous fence which filters rather than blocks the wind you've also put a couple of greenhouses in the sheltered corner are they to illustrate any particular facet you have in mind from the climate change report
2: yeah so there's the summers will actually be be hopefully okay to be growing um citrus fruits and things like that but we've got those late frosts to deal with and and also possibly um cold cold sort of periods over the winter so it's good to have a sort of big citrus tree in a planter Um, and we can have it in a greenhouse where the doors are open um, or you can have them closed but the idea is that the the big planters are also on casters so you can pull them out um, so when it's a particularly hot day and the greenhouse is very hot inside you can just pull them and it's it's very easy to do um, but it means that they get a bit of fresh air and that the 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 greenhouse is aerated
1: so I'm looking at a lovely lawn and herbaceous border here, the very thing that most people want in their garden at the moment. What's um, what's to stop people having these in the future, Eleanor?
2: In the current garden, um, on our right, you can see roses all planted together. Um, and whilst they look lovely, actually, in the future, when we get rainfall and also warm conditions it's going to be very mild and also damp around them which is going to be an ideal breeding ground for pests and diseases so when you plant the same thing all together um, the the, the whole crop can be can be ruined by pests and diseases so in the in the future garden on our left um, you can see very diverse planting also lots of spaces for the air to circulate around uh, so that if it does rain and it is hot there won't be that sort of breeding ground for those pests and diseases
1: So Eleanor, there's some ponds and waterfalls here, what are they all about?
2: So the water is a really good example of the contrast between the current garden and the garden of the future because what we really need to start thinking about is water storage during heavy rainfall events and also after storms and things like that. So what we've got here in the garden of the future is we've got a series of water books which are sort of underneath a bench, um, so they're sort of hidden away and quite discreet and then when those water pots fill up they overspill into a, a pond which then runs into a pond that's slightly lower than that and then that eventually ends up in a rill which runs through the meadow to that pond um, at the end where the, where the water eventually ca- is captured
1: so this garden is really a glimpse of the future where you can see it's, even though it's going to be a very different climate they are still possible to have a, a lovely garden and features that ameliorate the effect of the climate making it nicer for people and nicer for wildlife and help to preserve biodiversity in towns and cities prevent flooding there's a lot of features here all of which could be introduced today to a small extent in existing gardens and will probably be the, very similar to the garden of the future If you want to find out more about this visit the Royal Horticultural Society website where there's a several pages um, devoted to greening grey Britain with links to practical ways of helping you with your own gardening and making your own garden greener and if you want to read our climate change report I believe it's available on the website isn't that so Elena
2: exactly yeah so um, rhs.org.uk forward slash climate change and on that page you can download the pdf of the of the full report there's also lots of information um, about all the things we've talked about today in addition to other podcasts that we've done in relation to gardening and a changing climate.
0: You can find photos from The Chatsworth Show and information about gardening and the environment on our website. The focus of The Chatsworth Show was on innovation and pushing gardening boundaries. One exhibitor who took the moving gardening boundaries theme rather literally was designer Tanya Batkin with her garden, movable Feast. Her design attempted to answer the question, how do you have a garden if you are a temporary resident or your generation rent? Nearly 50% of householders aged between 25 and 35 are renting and an increasing number of landlords are paving over gardens to make them low maintenance. Tanya created an ingenious container garden on wheels that could move with its owners and allow all temporary residents the benefits of a permanent plot. Here she is to tell us how it works. This specific
3: garden is aimed really entirely at people who rent or are on short-term secondment, going to be moving, anybody who's in a flat or just has a small space, somewhere they can utilize every inch of space. But if they're moving, they can take the garden with them. Each planter, they're modular, they fit together, they move. We've designed them using casters. They're the same casters that are used on film sets to move heavy pieces of scenery and also for music festivals and what have you moving sets around. So we've we've worked very hard on making sure that they will move when the soil is wet and also when it's dry because you've got different weights, different stresses when it's moving, when it's stationary as well. So they are specifically designed to make sure that you can even on a, a, a a fully filled container, some of the biggest ones, that they will still move. We've got lots of different shapes of planters, so we've got squares, oblongs, um, triangles, they're all modular, they all fit together, you can rearrange them if you want to, you have a party on a patio, you can move them all out to the side if you don't like the view you can move your trees to block out the view that you don't like they've got a very structural element to them as well so when the um, planting which is mostly herbaceous and deciduous dies down you're left with basically a sculpture in the garden for the winter time for you to enjoy in the weekend when you're not working and it's light We haven't segregated the edible from the ornamental. We've used them together. We've just used them based on the plant's qualities. So we've got, nearly every pot has an edible element in it, whether it's the flowers, whether it's herbs, whether it's fruit, we've got apples, we've got mulberries, we've got uh, blueberries, pinkberries, which are quite new. We want to bring a, a sense of seasonality, succession, We're looking at, you know, spring colour, autumn colour, fruit, flowers. Um, It's more along the lines of a lazy forager's garden, if you like. If you use plants that just grow together and look good together, some edible, some not edible, within a small space you can have quite a large variety. Pop in a a fruit tree as well and you've got a little something. We're not talking about being self-sufficient here. We're talking about just going out, tasting the seasons as they come. That's really what this is all about, just getting back in touch with the growing, the successional nature of of growing your own food, seasonality, and that's really what it's all about, especially when you're living in an urban environment where that's kind of
0: missing. Designer Tanya Batkin. If those features from Chatsworth have whetted your appetite for RHS flower shows, good news, there's still time to get tickets for our two other main flower shows this July. The Hampton Court Palace Flower Show in Surrey runs from the 4th to the 9th of July. Why not make a day of it and immerse yourself in displays showcasing more than 250,000 flowers, enjoy vibrant show gardens and meet our master growers, Penberth Plants, who specialise in the exotic flora of South Africa. The Tatton Park Flower Show in Cheshire runs from the 19th to the 23rd of July and it's a fantastic place to buy plants. Track down your favourites or fall in love with a new bloom with the help of our new RHS Plant Finders, specialist, knowledgeable volunteers who will be on hand in the Floral marquee, Or wander around the Butterfly Dome, new for 2017, filled with exotic butterflies. And don't forget, Friday 21st of July is Ladies' Day, a celebration of summer style with special talks by celebrity gardener Carol Klein. Tickets are selling fast, so get yours now so you don't miss out. Alongside the shows, now the summer is well and truly here, there are many events and activities for the whole family to enjoy at our four gardens and, of course, our partner gardens. Full details of all events are on our website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash event search. Now, that's almost all we have time for in this edition. But before we go, here's James Armitage with the next in his fascinating series of audio portraits of some of the more unusual plants in the collections here at RHS Garden Wisley.
4: Set only a few hundred yards south of the junction where the A3, one of the most heavily used commuter roads in the UK, meets the London orbital, RHS Garden Wisley seems now very much at the busy heart of the southeast of England. For those with an interested eye, however, indications remain of the earlier landscape from which the garden was hewn. A look at Rock's map of Surrey from 1768 shows the site the garden now occupies formed part of a patchwork of fields, probably with hedge boundaries, likely mostly to have been arable land with some meadows. This agricultural past is still evident in the names of the areas into which Wisley is apportioned. Portsmouth Field, Howard's Field, Seven Acres, localisms from another era, echoing unchanged and unquestioned down the generations. The RHS took possession of Wisley in 1903, a time before the development of the chemical herbicides upon which modern agriculture has become reliant. At this time, a rich suite of native plants thrived in the area, coexisting alongside their agrarian relatives. Some measure of just how rich can be gained from the efforts of the students who trained at Wisley in the early years of the 20th century. It was they who made lists of native plants found on and around the Wisley estate, assisted by the director of the school, Frederick J. Chittenden, and W. D. Cartwright, the chief clerk, whose initials can still be seen wrought in the iron of the walled garden gate. In 1910, a list of their discoveries was printed in a document known as the Wisley floor. It is poignant to think of the sense of collective achievement that must have accompanied the publication of this little work and then to reflect on how many of its compilers were to be so senselessly slaughtered a few years later in the carnage of the First World War. To wildflower enthusiasts, the catalogue contained in the Wisley flora is an enviable one, peppered with the names of plants that were then common but are now grown scarce. One, succory, Arniceris minima, is now extinct in the British Isles, driven out of the field margins it favoured by developments in farming practices until it dwindled away to nothing. Assiduous as the students were, they didn't catch everything. In 2009, a native plant that had never been seen before at Wisley was spotted in a patch of rough grass by the Pinetum, in an area known as Wilson's Wood. In full flower standing only a few centimetres tall, what made it remarkable was its ghostly pallor, caused by a complete absence of chlorophyll. It was the bird's nest orchid, Neotia nidus avis, a saprophyte clinging to life by draining the energy from decaying organic material. Although scattered throughout much of the British Isles, the bird's nest orchid is in decline and is now uncommon outside the south of England. Normally a denizen of beech woodland, it has probably been at Wisley a very long time, surviving unscathed the wholesale changes which the site has witnessed. As with many of its relatives, the behaviour of Neotia nidus avis can seem capricious, as though it is somehow aware of the diva status the name orchid bestows. Taken with the spirit of performance, the Whisley population has been seen to produce as many as 50 flower spikes in a year, when throwing a strop as few as three. With their rich variety of habitats, ponds and hedges, shady borders and gravel beds, gardens are able to support a wealth of native plants that these days agricultural land, with its unforgiving monocultures, could never sustain. It is food for thought that had Whisley remained farmland, then the bird's nest orchid would surely be lost as lost as those laughing lads who failed to spot it all those years ago.
0: RHS botanist James Armitage. You can hear James's previous plant encounters on the RHS website. There you can also find more information and see beautiful photographs and botanical illustrations of the plants discussed. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash Plant Encounters. I'm afraid that's all we have time for in this podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight when we'll be bringing you exclusive highlights of the floral extravaganza that is the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. Until then, remember you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. For now, from me, Sean Thomas and all the podcast team, thank you for listening. Goodbye.